0: Hey everybody, this is Harriet Kamek, the host of Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, I want to talk with you about violence in relationships. I want to talk specifically about that because there seems to be an increased incidence of violence and especially of relationship violence. And I want to be clear about that and to establish some parameters and boundaries for us to understand why these things are happening and how out of control some of these events are. And this is typical because it's happening not just in our local community. So wherever local is for you, whether local is Detroit, Michigan, as it is for me, or whether it is Kingston, Jamaica or whether it's in Bangladesh or wherever your local community is, as you look around, we're seeing more and more violence taking place. Now, some of that violence is personal. Uh, it happens to people who seem to be just out of pocket. People just seem to be going out of control. And some of that violence is relationship. We're people in intimate partner relationships. So I'm gonna start off by describing what violence is. But first, before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about ourselves. My name is Harriet Kamelka, I'm the host of Down to Earth, in addition to which I'm also an author and speaker. The Exodus Foundation is our nonprofit organization through which we provide services to people in our community. So go to our website, harrietcameron.com, for more information about what we're doing in our community to end human trafficking. And if you can, please leave us a donation. It always helps to help us keep the lights on and keep the work. Of the Exodus Foundation, going. You can also find more information about me wherever you are in the world by simply putting my name in a search engine. So I want to talk with you today about violence in relationships, and I know it's rather unusual, and I haven't talked about this publicly for some years now. But have you guys noticed, just like I have, that since the pandemic, people just seem out of sorts? It could be that we are thinking that we're paying more attention to this, but the real truth is people it's happening people more and more are becoming more and more violent excuse me and it seems that the violence is somehow directed it seems as if we're becoming more and more violent we are spreading we're just not giving the correct response to issues let me explain it this way you might have observed that when you go into a business to do business, I mean, we're all aware now of our environment and so on, right? So you go somewhere, whether you go to the bank or you're at a store, have you noticed that when the person behind the counter tells someone no or tell them they can't do something all of a sudden, people just seem to want to pop off like it's just out of control, like everybody's on edge, everybody has something going on. A lot of this has to do with the pandemic. Emerging from the pandemic has affected us mentally. And there are large groups of the population a large parts of the population who refuse to go and talk to someone about it. They're refusing to go and deal with their issues. So now the rest of us have to deal with whatever is truth from their behavior. That's just the truth. I'm not criticizing anyone I'm making observations the fact of the matter is that the pandemic did a number on us mentally. Look, we're survivors right now. And we had to watch 40 million people die worldwide, not because of a war, not because of some gas or biological warfare stuff exploded, not because somebody picked up guns and went and shot up anywhere and shot up a whole country. No, no, no. We watched 40 million people die from an invisible virus. That, my friends, is caused to make us, what, go crazy. Then we had to watch the whole world shut down. Not just America, but Tokyo shut down. Germany shut down. London shut down. Paris shut down. Morocco shut down. Marrakech shut down. Portugal shut down. Spain shut down. Even Argentina was shut down. So we had to watch everything in the world come to a full stop. So then we started thinking. Now, here's the difference. The people who control us, yes, they are. They use the media and entertainment. The media is a form of control, whether you like it or not. They put out stories that they want to manipulate your way of thinking. So the people who control us finally now they realized that we had some time to sit down and think. When we began thinking, things became clearer. Suddenly, we became, what, more aware of the disparities that exist. What are those disparities? Racial disparities. We became more aware of why we are where we are economically and why there are some people who are richer than others. So we became more aware of what the inconsistencies and the incongruities that exist. And so people began to think that this is not fair, that there is a way to recapture, that there has to be a way to level the playing field and create parity. Hence the George Floyd protests. Once policymakers, public policymakers, and the billionaires who have billions of dollars who own the industries that make money off the backs of the rest of us, once they realized that, what did they do? They said, Ah, oh, you gotta stop this. Get everybody back to work. Get people back to work. You gotta stop this virus. You gotta stop people. Stop scaring people. People gotta get back to work. Because if we had sat down and thought more and more, what would have happened? Revolution. People would have wanted change. Now, today's revolutions are silent, yeah? They're not the type of revolution where people are ready to go pick up arms and go do something. No. People will protest and then they will take action because there are other remedies that are available. Generations ago, the only remedies they had was to take arms. Today, what do they do? They take arms in a different way. And so they take arms by protesting, by boycotting somewhere, boycotting somebody's products, boycotting a company, that kind of thing. So now that we are exiting the coronavirus, what we are seeing is that people are thinking. And if you don't believe that there are more people in the world than there are the policymakers, I want you to think about China. For three years, China shut down its entire country in an effort to control the spread of the virus. They really did it the opposite than everybody else was doing. Everybody else in the world was giving up vaccines and encouraging people to go out and mix because if you mix together after a while, the virus becomes saturated. Yes, it will mutate, but... You know, the more you mix, then it becomes like nothing, right? It lessens the effect. It, it, it kind of, uh, du- you know, uh, lessens the effect. China did the opposite. What did they do? They locked the place down. So people went literally stir crazy. In addition to going stir-crazy, once China began to see that China started infecting more and more control. I mean, they stopped issuing passports. They stopped issuing birth certificates, marriage certificates, so people could not travel. People couldn't leave the country. So what did people do? People started protesting. Now, China has control of the media, so you're not seeing that a lot in, around the world, but it has happened. So a few weeks ago, what did they do? They opened up the controls and people started traveling. Now people are max exiting, mass exiting, like it's going out of style. It's proof positive that people recognize that if you control people so much and lock them down, then they're going to turn around. But what is happening with the rest of us? We didn't get locked down so long. We were closed up for what two or three months and we Went stir crazy ourselves, you know. We started wanting to go back out. You now, people are traveling more and more. People are going everywhere in the world that they can. People who never even got a passport, suddenly everybody's like, I gotta go somewhere. I just can't sit here. Understand that the mental health issues emanating from the pandemic is causing problems. The other thing that has become clearer is that the economic disparities are not going to change over time. People now recognize that asking for an increase in minimum wage is not helping. It's still not going to solve the problem because as soon as wages catch up with prices, guess what? They increase the prices so you are never going to be on par. So now that people are beginning to realize that people are getting stir crazy. So this leads me to this fact, this fun fact that I have been seeing for years as an advocate to end violence. That it's a spiral and a cycle. So poverty is the start of it. When people are poor, they have no hope. When people have no hope, they become frustrated. When they become frustrated, they get angry. When they become angry, they get violent. And so the cycle continues. What we are seeing right now is that poverty is driving violence. So people, so whether that violence is domestic, meaning it's a group of people who live in a house, whether they're related to each other uh, relationally, or whether it's intimate partner violence, meaning you and your intimate partner have a, have a, a disagreement, violence, is now become the thing it is so out of control I don't know about you but when I go out into the public I take what you know I look around I was trained in insurance many years ago so one of the first things that I do when I go into a building is I look for what the escape route would you believe that I look for the available exit signs to this day I look around and I can tell you where the exit signs are and where the doors are. (laughs) Isn't that funny? You never lose your training, really. Well, part of what happens now too, is not just that people are, we're confined. So the confinement is over. But you know what hasn't gone away? Guess, the feeling that you are out of control and that stuff can happen to you without your control and the confinement may return. So people are acting crazy. That's part of what uh, that's part of what is going on with the violence that is taking place. So we look at this violence and we're like, well, what can you and I do about it? We can start by how we talk to one another. So the people within your home, how do you talk to them? how How do you relate to the people in your home? How do you relate when you have a disagreement? That's what I always ask. What do you do when you disagree with someone? Do you de-escalate or do you keep talking, 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 talking? I have found that if you are quiet, it usually calms the person down. But that's not often the case, is it? No. And people tend to disagree so quickly nowadays that, man, you don't even want to start a disagreement. I know that they tried really hard to get us back to normal as quickly as possible, especially here in the States, like, you know, get you back to going to football games, baseball games, and and so on, just so that you can feel some sense of normalcy. But it's not normal to go to the grocery store and you can't buy eggs. It's not normal to go to the pump and it's taking up more money to buy gas. It is not normal that you go to work and you're at will employment And they fire you or they just tell you not to come back to work. It is not normal. And so all of these things are spilling over into people's relationships. And as it spills over into people's relationships, people are becoming more violent in their response. It's almost as if, say the word, desperation is what is driving violence today. People are becoming more and more desperate. People are recognizing, if I don't make it now, I will never make it. So they're doing worse things. That's why identity theft. We don't even call it identity theft anymore. Scamming. They're using technology to do what? To make it because it's faster and quicker than other forms of, of bad things used to be. Think about it. Because people are in a rush. We look at, If I were to look at my Facebook page, some days I don't know why I even go to it. Because all I see is R.I.P. Everybody, young and old people, are dying. People have lost hope. Suicide is on a massive scale. And suicide is no longer something that we can say is confined to white men only. Suicide is everybody. All these young people have no hope. They lost their jobs. They can't keep their rented apartments. They can't keep their condo. And they have to move back home. How would you feel? If you had to move back to the same dysfunction that you were trying to leave, that's why you went to college. That's why you moved away halfway across the country. And in order to stave off homelessness, you have to go back to live with people who you were trying to run away from in the first place. I have children myself who are in the same boat. I mean, my youngest daughter is a Gen Zer. She's away at college. My oldest daughter is a millennial. And she talks about these issues that she's seeing across her social media platforms all the time. And it brings me to mind, and I I have to ask myself, I I, I keep saying, my goodness, the difference in our generation is remarkable. And she says, yes, mom, because you got a chance to live your life already. My generation hasn't had that. So we're seeing increased incidents of violence amongst specific demographics, among specific groups of people. We're seeing people who are under 40 who are taking time out to hurt themselves and take others with them and also to just inflict hurt on others. It's almost as if people have no respect and no value for life. What's happening is that we are numb. We're numb to the fact that we sat and watched 40 million people die from an invisible virus. So now people are questioning whether there was even a coronavirus. What was it? Because how could something so invisible cause the whole world to shut down? Here in America, my generation and over, we're still reeling from the effects of January 6th. Today that I'm recording this is two years since the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. So after we went through the coronavirus in 2020. We had to survive Donald Trump. We were trying to make it out. The elections had happened. We thought that that was going in a positive direction. Here comes January 6th. That has destabilized us more than the coronavirus ever did. So when you put it all together, what people are looking at is there is no hope. Come to think of it, people can't even go to church anymore because the preachers are grifters. The preachers take your money. Even in a pandemic, they are still asking you to give up 10% of your income. And the 10% that you give up will help you to buy gas and buy eggs at $17. At two packs of eggs at, at Walmart on New Year's Eve was $17. And they're still asking you to give up their money. So the people think God has left the space. They think God has left. No, God hasn't left. God is letting us let our free will do what we want to do. When we're ready, we call God and he will say, Oh, you ready for me now? You want to talk to me now? Are you ready to do it my way? Or you still want to do it your way? Part of our problem is that we tend to look at things and we say to ourselves, but I'm in charge, that is part of what is happening to us because we're telling ourselves that I am in charge. And so everybody wants to feel that they're in charge of their situation. What the coronavirus did and what January 6th proved is what? That none of us are in charge. And by the way, let me just put it into context. The United States is not unique to people wanting to overtake or control their method and their self-government. We saw that happen in Germany just a few weeks ago when a group of people thought they could take out the German government and had plans to execute members of the German government. Quietly, they pushed it down. We watch in the UK, for instance, where they had a rapid takeover. One prime minister only lasted for six weeks. The queen died and all of a sudden everything was just up in arms. Prior to the queen's death, there was another prime minister who ran for a period of four years, two years, then he was pushed out. Then the woman who took over lasted for six weeks. Now they have another guy whom they look like they're not happy with either. Change. You look in France and you look how closely that election was in France. And people are protesting inflation and high prices in France. You look across the landscape of Europe and you realize that something is going to end up being wrong. You know what we know from history? And this is what is driving the rest of us crazy. What do we know from history? after a mass event like the coronavirus, what happens? Say it. It starts with W, war. And what happens specifically that causes war? Economic displacement. When people start having less and less and inflation goes out of hand, people start reacting and they get tired of the excuse. You get tired of it you look at other people and you know that there are people who are not experiencing what you are experiencing. You look at it and you say, there has to be a change. And why is the change not happening with me? So if we all were at the bottom before, and then this bad thing happens, then we're further pushed down to the bottom. Then what happens? People start revolting and revolutions true. What we know is war becomes the end of it all. That's where we are all progressing as humanity. It's frustrating those of us who are thought leaders because we think in a hundred years we would you know we would have learned something from World War I, possibly even World War II. We would have learned that that's why we set up the United Nations and we set up all these various uh, agencies as thought leaders to mitigate anything like that from happening and instead we come back to our basic human nature. It's our basic human nature that is killing us right now because we're unable with all the technology that we have. You mean to tell me we could go put a man on the moon. This is how people are rationalizing this. You can put a man on the moon. You can do, you can put a man under the sea. But you could not stop an invisible virus from taking my mother, my auntie, my grandmother, and my father from me, my brother, my wife, the person who meant the world to me from me. We say we're a first world country here in America. I love America. I love my country. I'm a naturalized American and I love America. America has been good to me and I'm grateful and I'm proud to be here. We have our issues. I'm hoping that we can move forward. But you have to look at the economic disparities that exist and recognize that that's not a sustainable event, that something drastically has to change. We can't continue to have one group of people who consider themselves the wealthy, the Republicans, and they consider themselves wealthy, that they can enact ridiculous prices that could have impacted the outcome of an election they were talking about the midterms the 2022 midterms they thought they could have made it so painful for the rest of us i know the prices are still high you can't buy chicken you can't buy eggs bread the basic stuff laundry detergent baby formula just so that they could have the candidates they wanted to have who will continue to do what? Tell them not to pay their share of taxes. All of these is leading to violence. And so these folks think it will never happen to me, can't happen to me. They have several layers of security between them and the ordinary people. Can I just ask you a question though, if you're listening to this and you're one of those wealthy people, how many layers of security is between you and your security guard? Just answer that question. Because you might think there may be layers of security between me and you and there are, but the guard who is securing you, is he equally as wealthy as you? Is it another billionaire? Then if it's not, you have a problem. You're still not safe. Because you're still reliant on someone you are paying less 2300 times less than what you are valued or you earn to take care of you so you are not safe anyhow i'm saying all of this to say that we're all in this together and at some point it has to click through our collective consciousness to recognize that we all have a part to play to extricate ourselves out of this i'm not saying this in a vacuum don't get me wrong I am saying that we have to do something about the violence that is pervasive in our community. It's not enough for public policy leaders to sit back and think the violence that is running through the streets of Philadelphia or the violence running through the streets of Miami or through the streets of Detroit is confined to a certain demographic of people and you can just let guns In For the life of me, I cannot understand how guns are more affordable than food. I don't understand where people find money from to buy food food to buy ammunition and guns, but can't buy food to sustain life. Can't pay rent, can't pay a mortgage, can't send their kids to school, but you can find money to buy goods. Because if you create the economic situation and if you create the social climate enough to make people feel hopeless, yes, they're going to resort to violence. And yes, they're going to kill their brother. They're going to kill their sister. They're going to kill their girlfriend. They're going to kill their wives because they think that violence, they're so angry in the moment. Have you ever gone to the prison and talked to someone after the event is over? What do they say? They say, I don't know what came over me. It's not just something crazy just dropped over them. It's a lifetime of having no hope and the frustration began peaking through the pandemic when all of a sudden you finally see all those people whose records you bought, all those people whose music you downloaded and you were driving through, all those people whose sneakers you bought and all their brands that you bought, they posted on social media how they were living. They had to run through their farms. Their farm is 100 hundred uh, acres. You don't even live on half an acre. You have to pay $750,000, $1.1 million, $3 million to buy a half an acre, and they're living on 100 acres. When you began to see how this really stacks up, people became more inclined to violence. So you have people living together. You put two people in a room, intimate partner violence now. And you put them together in a house and you tell them to live. And they have to go to work and interface with people who are just like them, who are equally as frustrated. Somebody walks in dissatisfied because companies cut back on every corner. They don't pay services. They don't, they have employees now who are answering the phones, who are also responsible for taking out their own trash and cleaning out the place cleaning all toilets. And so you go home and you're frustrated and you start quarreling or you're trying to vent or whatever. And before you know it, it becomes a problem between the two of you. Then somebody loses their job and somebody says, I can't live with you anymore. You're too violent. And he goes on a violent rampage and he kills her because it's about power and control. His locus. Do you see what I'm saying? People are feeling that their locus of control is gone. They have no fundamentals, nothing to stand on, nothing to hope for, nothing at whatsoever. All that they have is being taken away. And the worst part about it is now you have absolutely no control. So what do you think happens in a situation like this, my friends? There is nothing good that comes out of it. And, And here's the thing. Here's where the preachers and I go wrong. The preachers don't preach hope. What they preach is grifting. If you give me $10,000, if you give me all the money, then you're suddenly, something suddenly is going to happen. That's not really how it works. God gave us free will. God is here to help us, but not when you are telling people in order to get their money that you must give them money. It's just like somebody on Facebook saying, if you give me $60, I'll put $2,500 in your your cash app. Same thing. That's not how it works. God will bless you and give you because he loves you. So he's going to do it anyway. He may not do it in the time frame that you want it to, but it is going to happen. But you have to be what? Diligent about it. What is your diligence? Wait for it. And if he gives you specific instructions, obey those instructions. But that's another conversation for another place. So, you might be saying, then, Harriet, then what is God doing about this violence? He's watching us all go through it. Are we going to listen? Or are we going to keep marching until the whole world is at war? Because we have no place to tolerate. So, the question really is the fanboys, the fanboy billionaires, because that's the new thing. Everybody wants to be, even the billionaires now want to be well liked, they want to be celebrated, they want to be celebrities. It's not enough for them to just sit down and run industry and sit back and go to their parties or whatever they do. Now they want what? They want to be celebrated. They want people to know their names and to like them and they count their likes on social media. So now those people want more and more money. So they feel like they need to collect more money. So they're obviously never going to pay enough taxes. Look at Donald Trump. They fi- filed his tax returns. He paid zero dollars in 2020. He paid, <laughs> do you know the maid, his maids paid more money than he did? But he wants to be a billionaire so bad. Do you see where I'm coming from? So people are looking at all of this. And instead of us coming together and say, well, what can we do about it? Let's make sure that when we're electing candidates, we elect people who are us. And frankly, maybe it's not a bad idea to change people out every two years. Don't let them stay in there for four and six years for continuity of programs. No, because the longer they stay there is the more they want to stay there and the more they're going to side with the fanboy billionaires to keep themselves in that exclusive club. Something has got to change. We've got to do something about that. People are suffering and they're paying the price. We have a whole generation of people who lack hope and have no hope, and who are killing themselves off because that's the only way out that they can see. The others are taking up guns and shooting our mothers and our friends and our sisters and our fathers and uncles because they're angry, because it didn't turn out the way that it should. This is a tough conversation for all of us to have. And as tough as it is, it's a necessary one. Now that I've given you all the reasons why people are violent, know what can be done about it. It's going to take each and every one of us. And guess what? The people who are really violent, they're not listening. They're not willing to listen to what it is. Yes, you are angry. I'm angry too. I'm not happy with what the way things are. But I am not responding by going out and shooting up the people I know and love and shooting up the community. That's not because I'm special. That's because I'm what? I'm connected. I am sitting down and thinking that there are other ways to offset that. So the people who are actually going out and shooting and so on, maybe it's time we re-examine all this criminal justice reform that we're talking about. Maybe it's not criminal justice, more like mental health justice. Maybe we need to see that people who react this way need to be remediated. Maybe people need to spend a little bit more time medicated and to be placed in areas where they are taught not just de-escalation, but that they are monitored. Come on. We all know we have family members who are out of pocket family members who don't react the way that the rest of us react to common everyday situations and frustrations. And if that is the case, when they do go and fire up their guns and so on, it's time for us to say, hold on, that is not normal. Let's look at it this way. Generations ago, they were faced with similar issues. They just didn't have technology or transportation the way we have it. They certainly didn't have communication the way we have it because people in one part of the world didn't know what was going on instantly in another part of the world. They didn't have social media. They didn't have 24-7 news cycles. So I can't control the 24-7 news cycles. But you know what I can do? I can change it off my channel. I don't listen to the news in my car. I don't listen to the news in my home. And I definitely disconnect from social, from, from, from news updates, I had to for my mental health. It drove me crazy, gave me anxiety. Then I choose to curate what I watch on social media. So these are remedial therapists that we can immediately do for those of us. And if after doing this, so I changed what I watch, I changed the amount of information that comes to me. And then after I did all of that, I changed me. I made sure every day I evaluate myself. I ask myself, how are you feeling? How do you feel about this? If it's not making you feel good, exit stage left. So I'm saying to all of us, we have somewhat some personal responsibility here. We have some accountability to ourselves here and we have to step up to the plate and recognize that in order for the change to be, I am going to have to change in my environment. So when I tell the people around me to change, they have to see it in me first. So I can't be at a family gathering and lose my cool because somebody didn't pour the Kool-Aid right or didn't mix the Kool-Aid right or the potato salad was off. Or I can't disagree with someone because something happened 50 years ago. That's not the time and place to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? That does not invalidate what happened 50 years ago, but maybe taking it out in a public space is not the best place to do that. So now they're looking at cognitive behavior therapy and saying maybe we need to look at this more. Well, it's just a series of steps that tell you how to rethink what happened to you. I have found that that is the only real way sometimes that it can be helped. But what I see missing more than anything else is hope. We have to find a way to deliver hope to the people. We have to find a way to bring hope back. When people have something to look forward to or someone who feels that I am 14 years old, I got pregnant, the only thing that's open to me is a McDonald's job after the baby is born and I will have to work that for the rest of my life, it's people we need to reach with hope. We want to reach young men who are stealing Kias and stealing cars that that's, you're going to go to jail and when you, once you go to jail, you are never coming back from that. It's over for you. And one day you will wake up at 40 and 50 and you will hate yourself for what you did to yourself when you were young. I need us, those of us who are in criminal justice reform, I want you to start telling the truth. Stop telling people that the society owes them. Start telling them that they owe themselves too. That yes, you maybe should not have gone into that car to steal that car. I have been in situations where I myself found myself without money, but you didn't see me going to a store to take it because that's not going to help. See what I'm saying? These are tough conversations and nobody wants to have it. You're dating someone and everything about it tell them that tells you that something is wrong with them. Listen to your instinct. Don't let the the pressure and the social pressure from your community, from your social group tell you that you must have sex and you must have a man. And if you don't have a man, something is wrong with you. So you end up with someone who you know is wrong for you and who, when you start having issues, it results in violence. Don't do that to yourself. I see all these beautiful young women on social media who are being killed by men whom they were intimate with. It's an epidemic. Why is that happening? Because we as a community keep telling women to validate themselves by standards that no longer apply. Ladies and gentlemen, let us pull ourselves together. Let's pull ourselves up. Start eradicating those negative ways of thinking. And even for those of us who have been to college, and you said, but I Harriet, I did the right thing. I went to college. I kept my grades up. I went to college. I did it. And here I am struggling. Tell yourself it's time. You have to find the hope that it will change. It will change. It takes time. What we're seeing happening with social media is these people become instantly famous. The term is going viral and then they're famous. So everybody thinks, well, I can go viral too. So if I make a look mixtape, or if I go uh, flash my boobs, or if I go flash my butt, if I do my nail extensions, my hair extensions, my lash extensions, if I look as outlandish as possible, then I too will go viral and it will transform my economics overnight. So people are going further and further and further away. No, it takes time. We need to come back to this where people think that success is overnight and it's a microwave and you put it in and in three minutes it defrosts and everything just happens magically. No, it's not. It takes time. And you look at Kim Kardashian, and you say, well, all she did was she did a sex tape and there she is. She's famous. And look how that turned out. She ended up marrying someone who for all intents and purposes, it seemed abused her. And look how that turned out that really where you think you should go but you say but Harriet she has her millions does she really people what do you think wealth is you see people with big houses and cars and uh goods and you call that wealth no that's debt that's a lot of credit card debt is how I look at that when I see people on social media uh saying look at my house look at my cubic, and I'm like wow that's a lot of debt how much did that cost Debt is different from wealth. Wealth is the king of England having money underneath all that places where they have gold and bullion stored of. That's wealth. You don't believe me? The, the guy who bought Twitter, the fanboy billionaire that he is, did he just not lose stock in Tesla? Like the value lost and he lost $220 billion in one year? Is that wealth? No, that's paper money. That's called a valuation So when you have a wealthy valuation, it means that people will lend you more and more money and more and more money. That's why they seek valuations. Ladies and gentlemen, start thinking. How are we going to remedy violence? We're going to remedy it by recognizing it for what it is. It's poverty. The people in public spaces who are policymakers, those of you at the local level, because by the time it gets to the president, it's so bad now you have to call in the, the army. So it's too bad, two way up there. At the local level, at the city council, that's where the remedies for violence starts. How does it start? Stop exercising public policy that impacts people and further marginalizes people. The Department of Health and Human Services is not giving out food stamps anymore because you are trying to hold on to dishing out food stamps and people are getting frustrated. So they're going to kill and rob and take $50, cut off somebody's life for $50 because they're hungry. Loosen it up and give them the food stamps so they can go give their baby daddy so he can go do whatever. Loosen it up. That's where it starts. I kid you not. Start giving them back the welfare check money that they used to, that people used to get. We didn't have crime so high. Understand that people are always going to exercise their due right to go and smoke weed or do whatever. Then that's where the policies come in to stop that. But they freed up weed, so now all those people who are, went to jail for weed, what are you going to do with them? Confusion much? Yeah. So now you have to have policies in place. It starts at the local level. We need the police to do more policing. Yes. I don't believe in defunding the police. You can quote me on that. We need to what? We need people. We need the police to police. The police has all the SWAT gear. They're militarized. They have all the gear they want. Well, get in the tank and drive out in the streets. I guarantee you that police intimidation is the biggest deterrent to crime. Start driving around, just get in your vehicles and all the police, let's say in the city of Detroit, if all the police cars in the city of Detroit start driving around, I guarantee you, you're going to see notifications popping up all over social media. Like what's happening? What's happening? The police are here. The police are there. Do it. It works. It's an effective deterrent. That means the opportunistic crime guy out there or crime girl out there will stop. We need to create more avenues for people to make a living. So when they go to work at McDonald's and you're going to pay them $15 an hour, but you only give them three hours per week, that does not cut it. Give people 30 hours a week at $15 an hour. You can afford it. And that's just for fast food. What about the rest of you in retail? Give people The pay that they should get. If you're going to pay people $12 an hour, give them 35 hours a week. When people are earning money, they don't have time to do what? Sit down and watch others. They're too busy going on Amazon to buy what they want. Do you see what I mean? So the fix to it is flood the economy. At the local level, start with good policies that aid the public. Start providing them, go back and revisit the Department of Health and Human Services. That's the people's first interaction with public policy. Let them go apply for food stamps and health care and uh, the the welfare check that people used to get. Give it to the people and it's going to stop this. Because there are a certain group of people who are doing this. The demographic where it is happening, that's the demographic that we need to think about. Give people jobs and the policing. The police has to get back to policing. You have the vehicles. Drive around the streets. If you don't drive around the streets, who do you want to drive around the streets? Raising vans vans of vagabonds? You want people to just say they're going to be vigilantes and start? No. Let the police do the policing. Drive around. The biggest, I tell you, the biggest threat to crime is intimidation by the police. Because everybody is a bad man until the cop shows up. All of a sudden, everybody's yes, sir, no, sir, Mr. Mr. Cop, sir. So let the police do what the police do. Let them go out and do what they need to do. For those of us who have family members, because in today's world, we have more people who are mentally challenged. There are a number of reasons for that. The, the environment we live in is toxic and has been toxic for the last 40 years. So there are all kinds of factors that are contributing. The environmental stresses, the generational traumas, and the epigenetics and the generational stresses that people have had to endure is, are contributing factors to why people are more, there are more people emerging with mental unwellness. We're constantly stressed as we are bombarded. Imagine a baby being born from their born. They're just bombarded with negativity. Then they grow up in environments where there is no hope, In environments where there's just constant violence because people are just violent and just like hitting people when they get frustrated, using their girlfriends and their children as battering rams for their own frustrations. I was a single parent and had to raise two daughters by myself. They will tell you that I disciplined them, but I didn't abuse them. Because I was frustrated and things didn't go my way. Pull ourselves together. Do you see what I mean? So that's where it starts. And the final crux to this, we got to get our hope back. So for people like me, who are preachers of hope, we need to bring the hope back. We need to stop focusing on the money. Stop telling people that they must give money to access the mercy of God. To access God's favor and for God to help and bless people. Stop telling people that they must give money first. Just pray for the people and wish them well. Just say, I pray for you in the name of Jesus. Just say, I pray for you that you will be successful, that whatever you touch, that you will, it will come to pass. I pray for you even now as I end this broadcast, that whatever you are believing for, whatever you are touching, whatever is on your mind that is good and healthy, that it brings you wealth and success. I pray that everything you touch and that you are covered this day, that no evil will harm you and no evil will come upon you. I wish you well, my brother, my sister. I pray you lay the arms down, lay down the frustrations, lay down the pain. I pray you find peace and let peace wash all over you and eliminate the darkness that is in your mind, the frustration that no one hears me, no one sees me. I pray, my sister, that you have the strength and the courage to exit the violence that you're living in, that you ask someone whom you can trust for help to get out of it. I pray for you now. And I bless you with the blessings of the God whom I know in the name of Jesus. This is Harriet Kamuk with Down to Earth. Be blessed, everybody.